Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. I am Andrew Harris, joined as always with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Andrew Decker. Good afternoon. How are you, sir? Honestly, I'm tired. Yeah, I'm I'm tired. It's the end of the year. Well, this this episode's dropping at the beginning of the year, so right, right. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, you find some rest soon and, and are able to just hit one, the ground one running. One of my one of my not my partnerships. Oh, yeah. uh, friends yesterday looked at me in the hallway of the downtown office and goes, Andrew, you look tired. You look stressed. And then he stopped and he goes, and you never look stressed. And I was Uh-oh. like, dude, that's, <laughs> it's not a good sign. Um, well, you know, courts, we've been saying it for a couple episodes, courts have picked back up. Um, clients are calling us in earnest. And, uh, and I'm sure that that is, that feeling is shared with a lot of our defenders. Right. Um, so if you feel the same as Mr. Decker does, why don't you shoot us an email or, or leave a comment uh, about how stressed you're, how stressed you are right now, and what you're doing to to kind of help with that. Right, that's really important. Well, Self-care. you and I talked about running earlier. We both, yeah. we both try to get some good exercise, release yeah. some stress, which is which is a healthy way to deal with it. Right, and you know, a lot of our cases, they're not very, let's say, pleasant fact patterns to deal with. No, they're not. Um, and today we're we're going to bring back our first repeat guest outside of ourselves well and there's a reason and for Winston. that because she she was amazing that that first time we've got she a lot was. of really great compliments on that um and uh, and so our returning guest is victoria rusk right the mitigation specialist hey who, victoria uh last time introduced the book uh the handbook on mitigation yeah um and uh we talked about that primarily but today say hello victoria first let's get to there Hi, happy new year, Andrew and Andrew. Happy new year, Victoria. (laughs) Thank you. Um, so today we're we're not going to just talk about mitigation, um, uh, in in the general sense, in the general sense, we're going to talk about some stuff that really gets us into those, those icky places. Yeah. Or at least, you know, as, as my friend Tim Moore would say on a case like this, I'm sure as he's doing jury selection, I've heard him do this. I'm sure you're going you as a potential jurist have some hard feelings. Right. I think that's the, the most benign way of saying sexually, relo- re- sexually related cases. Everyone's going to have smart feelings. There's going to be lots of reasons for that. Yeah. But Victoria, first of all, you're a mitigation specialist. Remind us what what that is. Well, I just want to agree with you all that sex cases really are challenging. And um, it's a topic that, you know, I want to really bring to light to, which is what a mitigation specialist does is bring light to the dark, if you will. A mitigation specialist is a professional who does investigations that the outcome of that investigation is focused primarily on punishment. A mitigation investigation will be like interviewing, not just the client, but witnesses, record collection, organizing information that the attorney uses in sentencing and plea negotiations. Because I mean, when we think about it, most of the people who are charged with a crime right now will be punished. Not a lot of people are walking or getting not guilties. More people are being punished or being put on paper. So that mitigation specialist establishes the relationship meet, relationships that are needed for a witness to disclose information Um, And also to maybe testify, possibly. So in mitigation investigation, time is everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so in your in your handbook, 
you actually define mitigation as making something less severe, dangerous, painful, harsh, or damaging. And so you're a specialist that makes those punishments in cases in any form of criminal case or helps a defense attorney make the punishment less, hopefully less severe so that the client uh, has a better way forward. Yes, agreed. I just want to say in the law, case law, it says that a person should be uniquely sentenced to who they are as a person uniquely. So mitigation is separating the sin from the sinner, you know, and sex offending is something that a person has done. It is not who they are. Right. Yeah. And I really liked when, when uh, we were setting up this, uh, this interview in the podcast, um, your reply was, you know, it's important to remember we are mitigating the person, not the whatever action they're alleged to have committed. So we're not trying to excuse or make it easier for people who commit sexual offenses um, or, or trying to make it, you know, put a, put a, a rosy uh, veneer on the actual offense itself. But we really want a jury to understand the full picture of this, you know, our client's experience in life, maybe uh, the trauma that they've faced or, or their life circumstances that kind of led maybe to this, uh, to committing a, a crime like this. I right. And really that, there are, there are mitigating circumstances to every crime and doing a mitigation investigation, the golden or the silver lining to that mitigation investigation is that you could possibly find out what those mitigating factors are to the crime and utilize them in guilt, innocence, that part of the trial. And punishment is something completely different. So doing mitigation investigation, no matter what the crime is, no matter how many hours, you know, that that person can pay for or that the court will appoint, that information that we might use in guilt innocence that would, you know, that evidence basically that could come through a witness, whether it's a defense witness or a prosecution witness, that information really comes through in the mitigation investigation. So specifically then on uh, for these types of cases that, you know, we kind of as attorneys, oftentimes, you know, if we are taking these cases, we're handling them with with maybe some velvet gloves um, as a mitigation specialist. You know, what what is like your how do you approach these cases? Yeah, I want to say, too, like, um, you know, me, Victoria, I'm speaking as myself and how I approach these cases. And what I tell every single attorney, whenever they say, Hey, can I take this? You know, would you take this case? And when I work this case, you know, what I want attorneys to get more and more comfortable with the nature of the case of the crime, you know, the alleged crime being that it's a sex case that is like very taboo, but really understanding a lot more how people who sexually offend what it's that it's actually really coming from a place of trauma and a disempowerment and that kind of that knowledge or that shift in attorney's filter really helps them in presenting certain information and kind of I mean, your client is shame bound a lot of times and then their family members are. So the witnesses are and then it just trickles over to the attorney, too. But when you know or you've read research and or you've applied yourself and you're doing you know, some of the fundamental things that need to be done in every sex case, it can kind of help the attorney just rest a little bit, knowing that they really are doing all that they can do. Yeah. So one of the things that, uh, I went back and listened to our previous podcast from, uh, 
I think it's October 2020, for those of you who want to go back and hear Victoria's first episode. Um, uh, I went back and listened to that recently as, as we were prepping up for this one. And we mentioned uh, sexual related offenses. And Victoria, I think you said something there that, that, I, that I want to point out here because you've just touched on it. You said everything is about sex, but a sex case is about power. Yeah. Yeah. And you just yeah. kind of mentioned that in a different way today. The this is often someone who has either been made powerless and it's a way of exerting power or um, it's the way that they feel like they have power. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right? that's right. They we're disempowered at some time in their life, more than likely whether it's consciously or subconsciously. And during the mitigation investigation, you're going to be figuring that out because not everyone who commits, you know, a sexual offense was sexually, you know, offended and or abused and or molested or raped whenever they were younger. Sure. Statistically, a a lot of them were though. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, being, being sexualized in your developmental years, it's completely disempowering. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard, I've heard Andrew, you know, close, uh, with the notion that, that hurt people hurt people, you know? So, but you're right. It doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who's been traumatized sexually is going to go out and reenact that same trauma on somebody else. They, they could have, you know, they, they could have been physically abused and then they just have coped over the years, uh, in a more, uh, you know, using like inappropriate sexual uh, ways to to feel better about themselves. And then that kind of morphs into offending against children or offending, you know, uh, without consent or something along those lines. Yeah. And I mean, I would say that is um, just like any other case, just the unique facts and evidence that develops in an individual person's case. So it just depends. Not all cases are doing that. And I think that mitigation really brings out that uniqueness of that human being and that it is the attorney's responsibility to make this um, be presented in such the way that is individual to this human being, because you don't know that there's not a person who is a victim of a violent crime on your juror, on your jury. Yeah. Those are questions we ask, obviously, you know, have you been a victim of a similar crime or something that would make you biased to this? Right. And right. It, it is. And I don't know about you, but I do know humans lie. Well, uh, and sometimes they, they, they lie via omission as much as by commission because again we've just talked about these are these are issues well first we're dealing with what in our society is a taboo subject and that is sex yeah right we have to be honest about sex as a whole is a taboo subject but i want to remind everyone here that sex is hereditary if your parents didn't have it chances are you won't either Wait a second. Wait. Right? I mean, it's true. Wait, but hold on. Okay, so is this like the uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg? If my parents didn't have sex, then you won't either. But uh, but then I yeah, that's right because I won't right. be here. It's hereditary. <laughs> um, Man, but so, I really want you to do this in front of a, in in court. That would be great. Right, but it's not. <laughs> but here's the deal: all of us, all of us are the product of this huge taboo subject. Right. If we have children. 
they are a product of a huge taboo subject. We hope that that is a loving, healthy relationship. Not every, not all of it is, but we've right. made it so taboo that just to mention sex, to mention yeah. that someone has acted out maybe in a deviant slash illegal, illegal form, right? Public indecency, right? Maybe not, it, yeah. we may not be talking about sex assault, but, uh, but, or, or voyeurism, right? Again, yeah. another crime yeah, yeah. that is not a full on a sexual assault, but they are acting out. And, it, and we've, we've taken a taboo subject. And the first thing we have to do with the jury is say, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about something that's sexu sexually related. How many of you are going to be okay? And there are going to be some people that aren't okay, that aren't going to say anything. Why? Because it's so taboo, they can't even acknowledge they're not okay being in the room. That's exactly right. Sorry, so, that was a long time for me to get there. Sorry. Yeah. So, Victoria, when when you're, you know, let's say you've been hired on a sex related case, doesn't matter what which type, um, you know, I, I think it's the obvious like the low hanging fruit is going to be finding evidence or people to testify about um, a defendant's past sexual abuse themselves where they were a victim of sexual abuse. But like what other what other things are helpful uh, that, you know, to to an attorney, to a defense that you find on, you know, in, in these types of cases? Yeah, I mean, I think the, okay, when preparing for this interview, there's four things that I think are really important to touch on. Number okay. one is having your attorney and your expert and your mitigation specialist be trained as a trauma-informed professional. So early trauma causes a range of interpersonal problems and maladaptive coping skills. And so understanding what that, you know, actually really means like people have, you know, relational problems, they have distortive thinking, um, like about themselves and about others and being trauma informed as a professional in conducting these cases investigation is like the number one thing that I can, you know, advise us to be able to do how we um, conduct these, these cases really is like just meeting our client where they're at and depending on, you know, where you are. So if anything from this podcast would be, please get trauma-informed. And then the number, the second thing is choose your words wisely. Um, number three, understand your client because that's where the investigation starts. And number four, you know, research how people develop sexually just in general okay slow so down, slow down slow down with okay <laughs> okay so thanks. we got number one we yeah. got to understand trauma number yes. two choose your words wisely Exp in unless yeah. you're coming back to explain them explain that yes. to us before we move on right so choose your words wisely please don't call anybody a sex offender don't call your client client if you can help it don't call them defend you know defend it if you can help it call it by their name and when you do have to use the word sex offender please use this phrase people who sexually offend a person who's sexually offended um under like that really is um more in the line of separating the sin from the center center Right. And then the other words are, you know, we're, we need to be thoughtful about words that alienate and words that build community, because when we're 
in trial, we're wanting our jury to be on our side, to want to be, you know, along lines with the integrity and the thoughtfulness and the compassion of the defense attorney. So I'm saying like, choose your words wisely because you are basically setting a precedent for the level of compassion and understanding that your client is going to get in punishment. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So I'm going to, I'm going to run a parallel to make sure I understand, especially using, uh, I have a son who has down syndrome, right. And in the, in the, in that world, we talk about people first language. You don't say a, a Down's child. You say a child with Down syndrome, right? It's a way of saying this is a person who has a unique genetic condition. Here, you're saying instead of saying I'm calling him a sex offender, it's a person who has committed a sexual offense. Again, this is a person. Let's put the person first. Yes. Is that a and way of another phrase, understanding? Mm-hmm, another phrase that I like is inappropriate attraction to minors. Right. This human being has an inappropriate attraction to minors. I know that that is far fetched because I promise you when I first heard it, I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. But the real deal is, is that you don't have a choice but to choose some other language. And so inappropriate attraction to minors is a real you know, problem that this person is living with. And there is no real outreach to be preventative in this country. Now you go across the pond and they are a lot more progressive in assisting and helping people who sexually offend. But this phrase right here, inappropriate attraction to minors, if you can fit that in somewhere, I would be so proud of you, you know? (laughs) Okay. All right. So that's number two. Now, now number three again, sorry, I I had to back you up because I was lost. That's all right. Then number three is understanding your client and where this is really where the investigation starts and where I think a lot of people want to know, you know, what are we doing in a mitigation investigation for sex cases? So there's hours of talking and listening to your client and the witnesses for events, people, or places during their developmental stages of life that would have molded their security and their self-esteem. And have y'all heard of adverse childhood experiences? Yeah, I have. I I think Andrew has as well. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but our audience may not. So could tell us, explain it. So adverse childhood experiences are certain um, questions and or evidence evidence that's developed about like, how often did you feel like no one loved you? How, um, you know, did you feel protected as a child? Were your parents abusive to one another or were they abusive towards you? Did you always have enough to eat? Um, Did you always have clean clothes or did sometimes you go to school with dirty clothes? Now, adverse childhood experiences have a correlation on empathy and understanding that about your client and the mitigation investigation. This doesn't have to be evidence in court, but understanding that because we have clients that are on, you know, different levels of socioeconomic status. So you can have a client who's accused in a sex case, you know, or accused of a sex crime who um, you know, is very successful or, you know, high up there in the military chain or the police chain, or, you know, a politician, people who don't, who can afford, you know, $400 an hour for their attorney. So it doesn't necessarily mean socioeconomic, other than just like 
this certain this sometimes this stuff adverse childhood experience can be compared to a person living in the crisis of poverty that is not true and it's so thoughtful of us to really consider um how people present their childhood and then what was really happening so adverse childhood experiences are called our aces there is a um a quiz that a lot of um, psychologists, social workers, mitigation specialists um, go through in interviewing and talking with their clients so they can see where they are on this um, on this spectrum of ACEs. And the higher the ACEs, the more there can be, um, you know, maladaptive behaviors, distorted cognitive schema, you know, just like where they would be put into a place of vulnerability and not have safety or have problems with their self-esteem. And I just think that a person who is doing these types of investigations or a lawyer who's wanting to be a lot better at presenting this information should know what adverse childhood experiences are. Go through that quiz. When you are interviewing, you're not always asking those direct questions, but you are listening, listening for the disclosure of that information. So that way, you know, well, who else would have been a witness to this? And then when your expert comes on later on, they would be able to um, be the person to testify to, you know, trauma, to what these, you know, ACEs actually do to a human being or a developing brain or um, and be able to present that to your jury. Victoria, would you recommend that, you know, the, some of our defenders actually print out um, one of these templates from online? Because like you said, there, there are, you know, resources, you can find these questions and questionnaires online and, and include that in any kind, of, any kind of like intake paperwork or anything like that. Yeah, the thing, the thing about intake is, is that, again, when you're trying to just build rapport with your client, this isn't something you do on the first or second um, interview that when you're doing your intake, you're listening for how that they are, when you're doing a mitigation interview in particular, you're listening for these things. You're not straight up asking like, you know, were your parents unmarried to each other, separated or divorced, or did you grow up with an absent parent? (laughs) Like you're not, you're just listening to how they say, like, you know, my dad wasn't ever around. My mom wasn't around that. She couldn't take care of me because she was, you know, um, she was on drugs or she passed away or whatever, you know? So more conversation so, style whenever you're trying to build rapport with your with your client. Always, always, always. Yes, I don't care how educated they are. Um, they went through a traumatic experience by being arrested. So being so thoughtful. That's what the whole thing about being trauma-informed professional is about. Now, I know that was like the first thing that you mentioned, um, and we haven't gotten to item number four. Um, Let's get yet. there. But I wanted to real quick, if we could back up to the trauma-informed professional, how how can our listeners understand that, like how to, how to be more trauma-informed? You go take a training, right? I'm not a trauma-informed trainer, but um, one of my favorite facilitators is a social worker out of Miami. Her name is Jill Levinson, and she wrote the book that is kind of like my sex case Bible, and it's called Trauma Informed Care, Transforming Treatment for People Who Have Sexually Abused. 
Okay. She is okay. not in criminal defense. You know, she's more, um, she's an expert in what's called um, predator prevention. Mm. And so she, you know, in my opinion, she's the only one in this country rehabilitating sex offenders. Like, yeah. I just said the word I didn't want to say, but person who really- have sexually offended. Yes. Well, but, but, but I think that's part of part of what's so hard about these cases is that in part, the language that we use is in all of our heads, even as we try not to say, yeah, it takes practice. The sex yeah. offender, right? Client, you have yeah. to be very careful about how you say my client, right? At least clients, a, a neutral word, but, you know, Joe sitting right. here. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that's a big challenge on any case. And, and like Victoria, you know, so rightly observed, like this is a criminal case. Now it is a little bit more um, uh, serious because of the nature of the crime, but it, it is just like any other case. So the same challenges exist. We have to make our clients human. We yes. have to, we have to uh, remove the stigma of criminal defendant from the people that we represent uh, mm-hmm. in, in front of a jury. So uh, anyways, yeah, Victoria, I, let's continue on number four. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to number four, I just wanted to say one other thing that, you know, when you are, when understanding um, ACEs in particular, um, also in the mitigation investigation, um, when you're interviewing witnesses, it's going to be the same thing and records collection. Um, you know, rehab, any kind of treatment or counseling, like those records are really important because what I learned from Dr. Levinson's book is that counseling, even in prison or out of prison, but the counseling actually re-traumatizes the human being. And so knowing that information now, when I digest records for my client, who is a repeat, um, yeah, has like habitual or whatever. I'm like thinking to myself, Oh no, look what happened here and what's going on in these times. This is the first person. This is the first time this person might be able to see things a little bit differently because Dr. Levinson can't be in a million places at one time, but her information, her knowledge that, you know, (laughs) just totally transformed my way about how to approach these types of cases. Um, And the ACEs, what I also learned from this book is that it impacts a person's empathy. It it impacts depending on how old they were whenever this happened or whenever the, you know, the disempowerment happened and, or their, they lost their security and how they lost it. That is mitigation evidence. Um, but it definitely does impact the way that they think about themselves and about others. And how we speak to ourselves is where you set the bar for others. So I really feel like knowing that and implementing that in my understanding when I'm doing a mitigation investigation, there's no telling what person could come to the forefront to share information. Not everybody testifies, but, um, you know, cause most people only testify if the report is established. Okay. Right. All right. I'll go to number four now. Are y'all ready? Yes. Please. Okay. So, num- so let me, number one was trauma informed professionals. Number two is choose your words. Number three is understand the client where the mitigation investigation starts. And number four is researching how people develop sexually just in general. 
just in general. So just, right. you know, for a healthy person, how does a person develop sexual sexually and sexual desires are formed from a combination of arousal, cognitive understandings like safety and subconscious downloads. So what they saw, whether it is, you know, there's a documentary out called raised on porn, watch it. Um, whether they, it's how they saw their the documentary, not the porn, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Hey, if you're, if you're an adult and it's all good and it's legal, then do your thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yes. But the, um, that documentary really spoke to me about, you know, a gener- the younger generation of people and how they don't necessarily, um, you know, have the maturity to realize what's happening to them whenever they are, you know, experiencing the arousal, but they just don't understand what it might be doing to their cognitive understanding of things. And so then they can get in a world of disconnection, which we all have a universal need to connect. And they don't even realize that it's, you know, happening to them, you know, like how social media affects young people. It's sim- very similar. The documentary was just such a great breakdown. So I think researching how people develop sexually in general is really important to understand how it is supposed to be healthy. And then what happened in your client's life? Right. Kind of map out like this is what, you know, if I understand how sex, how, how healthy sexuality develops and I understand my client's story, you know, from the conversations that we had from, from choosing my words wisely, from understanding the client and their adverse childhood experience, I can kind of see where they, where those two paths diverge, Mm -hmm. where the healthy path goes and where, you know, my, my client who's, um, who's accused of this crime kind of diverged away from that. Or who has an inappropriate attraction to Minors, yeah. Well, minors or or, or or something else, right? Right, right. right. Yeah. And where where did that come from, and why did that come from? Which leads me to the idea of justification. This is huge. When I'm interviewing my clients over and over again, there's justification coming up. Like, I can't believe I justified this and I justified that and I would this or that. And now, you know, they're trying to unpack that for themselves. And um, you know, not everybody is 100% cooperative. Let me put that out there, but it is important to kind of take that on in the mitigation investigation a little bit, be willing to step into their thought process, rationalizing justification of the crime, and then genuinely understanding how they come to this justification, like move backwards in time to discover their pattern of behaviors and the context clues that would lead to this distorted thinking or belief. Yeah, I I really like that. Um, And, and, and I think you're right. I think without, uh, without these four items in place uh, within a, within a firm or even within the attorney doing the representation, um, I think providing adequate defense is going to be very, very difficult on these cases. Well, if nothing else, I think that any attorney who is dealing with cases like this, just like with any other case, an attorney, but, but especially in this sensitive nature, some of this Victoria, I think is the personal work we have to do to make sure that we are not um, falling into the traps 
that we're not being triggered and that we're not being pushed into uh, our own places of isolation and shame so that we, we cannot do good work, right? We've got to, we've got to have done some work ourselves to make sure that we are ready emotionally. uh, I might even say spiritually and physically, right? Yes, sir. Prepared to handle this case well. And it's okay, just like a juror needs to sometimes say, I would not be a good juror for this because blank. We as attorneys may sometimes have to say, right now, I can't take on this case. We don't have to say it out loud, but to ourselves, because fill in the blank. I'm not right. emotionally, physically, spiritually ready because I'm, I'm, I haven't done my own good work. Yeah. Yep. That's the good word right there. That, that accountability to yourself is really, really important. And some of the things that I'm sharing or, you know, wanting to empower the attorneys listening to do, that is everything being spiritually, mentally, and physically available to do the work and to, um, because you've met yourself that deep before. Right. So I was, um, consulting an investigator the other day about sex, about a sex case. And he was just like, well, how do we have this conversation? Da, 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 da. And I was just like, straight up. Right. How, right. tell me about your first sexual experience. How did you lose your virginity? And he was like, well, what? And I was just like, yes. Are you willing to talk <laughs> about your own? Are you willing to talk about your own first encounter with sex? Because what I understand is, is that that first encounter that you have sexually and what turns you on is, you know, what would turn you on 30 years from now, this age right now, whatever you do with your partner is what that kind of resembles or looks like because there's a familiar familiarity with it. There's a safety with it. There's an understanding that you have within yourself that arouses you, that makes you um, have that, you know, that safety and that, um, what did I say? The other thing is those subconscious downloads that you had around that time of your first experience. So you want your client to tell you all this kind of stuff, but you don't want to tell them. Yeah. There's a block there. Right. Right. We, the, the, it is also not mutually right. Again, let's go, let's go to what is healthy emotionally, physically, spiritually. Yeah. It is not healthy for me to sit with a client and download my information to them. Yeah. That, that, that's not the right place for that. Right. But and so I'm I saying, ha- you know, I have to have done that somewhere. I yeah. have to have had that discussion somewhere safe and appropriate so that I know when I'm bumping up against those things as I deal with, well, my own sexuality and especially in these cases, a, a client that may be bumping up against what makes me feel uh, uncomfortable and push me into places of, you know, shame yeah. and despair and, and, and just like, afraid. Yeah. And like, like Victoria was saying too, you know, you, it, it, we are going to have to be able to share our own experiences either with a client or even with a jury, you know, uh, picking a jury or, or in closing argument, some of the, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of really great trial attorneys in the state of Texas um, yes. Just like some really hall of famers out there. And, and they have, and we uh, had a few of them on the show and we have had a few of them on the show. Um, and someday maybe we'll be, we'll be amongst the ranks. I don't know, maybe, but, but I, I think the one trait that they all have in common is a willingness to be vulnerable 
uh, in representing their clients. And, and that shows strength. It brings people in, it brings them closer. It, yes. it humanizes you. And, and really when you're representing somebody, a lot of the jurors, uh, somebody charged with a sexual offense, a lot of the jurors are going to associate you closely with them. Right. So they're going to think you're the devil representing the devil. Right. And I think just being vulnerable with them of your own experience as much as you can, and as much as is appropriate in court, um, and, and something that's going to be healthy for you to do, but, but sharing that with, with a jury in closing or in jury selection, I think, or, or even with your client on the stand or, or somebody else on the stand, I think is very important. It can really, um, it can really maximize, uh, your, you know, your client's chances at, uh, in trial on one of these cases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets intense, you know, but that's what, that's the part of the job that's rewarding is that you stepped up to the line. You showed yourself, you, you performed courage and then mm, the reward yeah, like comes later. performed courage. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. So, okay. So I know, you know, our, our defenders out there that are listening, um, you know, they can, they can contact you directly if they need help with one of these cases, certainly with a mitigation specialist on, on any type of case, you're, you're available to them as a resource. Um, they can hire any other mitigation specialist, but you know, what can we do to have that kind of resource in our own firm, Victoria? Oh, this is the thing. There is not many mitigation specialists in the state of Texas, private practitioners, you know, so I am totally promoting and plugging my online course mitigation university. You know, if you have, um, you want somebody in your firm to do the mitigation, um, then, you know, hire, hire somebody with the a background, journalism background, investigator background, social work background, psychology, sociology, humanitarian, anthropology. The grandmother of mitigation was an anthropologist, somebody with great writing skills. Um, you can learn how to investigate pretty much, but you need to be able to communicate and organize information. My background is in journalism. And, um, you know, go ahead and enroll them as a part of their training, as their investment in them and or partner. You know, I've had uh, lawyers partner with um, people coming out of college to say, hey, I'll, I'll pay half of this course for Mitigation University. You pay the other half. And, you know, now you have your own business, you know, so depending on what the dynamics are in this you know, business or firm or however y'all go about doing y'all's, you know, I don't care. Just send me the check, you know, <laughs> so, right, right. Uh, <laughs> mitigation university is a thousand dollars. I have two other, um, you know, two other options that are not as much, but really mitigation university, six videos, 12 worksheets. It's at self pace and three consultations with me for $999. And you can, they'll have those consultations to assist in their first case and or to assist on existing cases that they have and what to do. And you build that mitigation muscle. You know, it's a right. new profession, you know, like the ABA guidelines came for mitigation came out in 2003. It is new. So the whole idea of getting more mitigation specialists into this line of work is better because if you call me right now, I'm going to say no. <laughs> because yeah. I don't have time. Right, right. So, right. you know, that's yeah, it took, really it took us six that. weeks to get this get this episode recorded because of yeah. scheduling between the three of us. Right, right. Yes. 
Yes. So, you know, Mitigation University is my contribution to this field of work to get more mitigation specialists trained, comfortable, confident. And then, you know, from that point on, if you want a consultation with me, it's $100 an hour. And so then, you know, and that's kind of where my the direction of my business is going is to really just be able to touch 50 or 60 cases at a time because I'm working with a dozen mitigation specialists or more to assist them with, you know, gaining that muscle and getting stronger. And then once they get stronger, I don't ever see or talk to them again because they don't need my help. They learned the, they learned the, you know, they, through their experience and their on-job training basically, and their own investment in themselves and in their own business or company, they're out doing their own thing. And they call me whenever, you know, when it gets hectic and that's fine. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I appreciate that you do that. Like this is obvious something that you really care about. This is, this is your, something that you're very passionate about. And instead of just hoarding that for yourself and just, you know, making sure your caseload is full, you're, you're reaching out, you're, you've established this course to try to create more mitigation specialists to help more people throughout the state of Texas. So. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that acknowledgement. I received that compliment. Thank you. (laughs) All right. So Victoria, we've had you on the show before. Um, so we're not going to ask you all three questions, but you said you've been reading a couple of books recently that you you would recommend to the audience. What, what have you been reading? Okay. There's this book by, I don't know how to say the last name, Peter Halibin, Halibin. I don't know, but it's called the hidden lives of trees what they feel and how they communicate. And so this book is really cool. I like to go on hikes and it talks about how trees communicate with each other. It talks about how the, um, you know, how, how they love, how they actually feel. It talks about, you know, what they call social security. It talks about, um, and shares, you know, how they network with the mushrooms and, you know, the trees have to pay the mushrooms a lot of rent with their energy. So they keep on growing and growing, um, how they respect each other as a community, you know, a tree will grow, um, up and try to get to the sky as fast as possible. And then when it branches out, it'll branch out just far enough and barely touch another tree. It doesn't get all up in its business. And so I just thought this was such a beautiful, um, my friend recommended this to me because she's in a book club. And so I love this. It's called the hidden lives of trees by Peter well have been all right all right i've actually heard of it so that that oh, uh, cool that on my book list it's so cool <laughs> right okay and, and and again if you want to know uh the other answers to victoria's questions are our normal three uh please listen to our previous episode with her i just got a cramp in my leg we uh but we do want to ask you just as a refresher um you know if we do have attorneys or paralegals listening that that need some help with mitigation or want to discuss a case with you where, where's the best way they can find you um you can find me at www.mitigationuniversity.com or heartofjustice.org or hit me up on linkedin victoria rusk Mitigation specialist for Heart of Justice. That's actually where Victoria and I see each other the most is on LinkedIn. Yeah, I want you to write a book review. Don't I know forget. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm Thank re- you. I, I'm rereading the book as we as we speak. Well, we will we will add those to the show notes, and I will show Mr. Decker where those are. Um, I found them. Okay. I, I can find them. 
And, uh, and then obviously, you know, with, with, uh, uh, Mr. Decker runs our social media presence. I don't know why, but he does, and he will include those links to contact you, uh, directly. So, uh, I hope, I hope this, this podcast helps you help more people through well, your mitigation. And I know university. it's helped us. It certainly has. Um, so again, you know, we are Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. Welcome to 2022. That's a lot Jeez. of twos. Yeah. Um, on this first day. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Andrew and Andrew on Texas criminal defense. You can find us on Twitter at a T a and a T X crim def, uh, on Twitter. Um, rolls right off the tongue. I know it's a terrible Twitter, but it's what we could get. It's 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 why we only have 11 followers, but our website is texascrimdefense.com. You can reach both Andrew and I, and if you have any questions about uh, this podcast, any other podcast, please uh, throw us a line. There's a lot of great resources contained in our show notes for each podcast. So please reach out. And as always, we are looking for ideas for future podcasts. If you have an idea, please let us know. Or want to be a guest. And tell your friends and loved ones. Yeah. On that note, we'll see Happy you soon. Happy New Year. <laughs>